Well, this is the, just so you know, if you're on Facebook watching, this is a service from Blue Skies West, and it's Thursday, the 12th of December. And this is uh, the day when we're celebrating Second Advent, which is the season before Christmas, when we celebrate the birth of Jesus. It's a preparation time, and we read and we hear from the prophet Isaiah, and he said, I am coming to prepare the way of the Lord. John the Baptist comes before Jesus. So, it's good to think about John the Baptist a little bit. Kind of a strange guy, because he's wearing funny clothes, and he wears a funny belt. But the, the thing about him is, he is not part of the establishment. He is way far away from Jerusalem. And he's not wearing fine clothes. He's wearing... Uh, almost ascetic clothes, that camel's hair. And he's out in the middle of nowhere, and he decides that God has called him to proclaim a message that goes like this. The message is, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now that's a big phrase, and it's really fun to listen to what that means, perhaps, because John was pretty much a straight-up social prophet. It means he cared mostly about what was happening in this world. Not really a prophet when we say predicting the future, but telling the people what he thought God's will was. It's not about predicting the future, but saying this is what God is about. So, when people asked him, well, what should we do in order to get ready for this kingdom, this new enterprise, he said a couple things. First he said, first he said to the people who came from Jerusalem, the hometown, the capital, the people who were in charge, the elite people, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, he told them, I can't believe how hypocritical you are, so you better get your life together and don't pretend to repent. I need to see some action, some fruits. Which is pretty amazing. But he would talk to the the inside group, and he's one on the outside, and he's telling them, don't be so sure you're great just because you're Abraham's children. God can make children from these stones right here, so don't get all excited about yourselves. And then, to soldiers who came to him, Roman soldiers, unbelievably, can you imagine a Roman soldier going to listen to a Jewish prophet? And he said, they said, well, what should we do? And he said, don't use the power of you being a soldier. Don't use your power over these oppressed Jewish people to extort money from them. Don't use your authority to get extra money. And then, similarly, tax collectors who are also Jewish folks who are working for the Romans to collect taxes, they said, what should we do? And he said to them, same thing. Don't use the power of your office, your position, to get more tax dollars and put it in your pocket. So, finally, ordinary people said, well, what should we do? And he told them, look, if you have extra clothing, share it with those people who don't have enough clothing. If you have extra food, do the same thing. And you see how it's all about social stuff, about money and clothes and food. Of course, you might remember what happened to John the Baptist. He gets killed. Wow. I know, and he really bumped into 
King Herod, another part of the aristocracy, part of the upper class of Judaism, a small king but working for the Romans to keep uh, the Jews under control. And he got sideways with John the Baptist. John told him, you sure really shouldn't be taking your brother's wife as your wife. So he, again, speaks to the powerful ones, and he, Herod throws him in jail. Throws him in jail. And then, later on, as a favor to his wife, Herodias, she says, well, I'd like to do away with John the Baptist, and he gets executed. Wow. So that's what happens with prophets a lot of times. They get in trouble a lot of times. And the kingdom of God had to do with this world, about poor people in this world who need food, and they need clothing, and they need to have every penny they can have kept to them, don't give it away in taxes, or having to bribe the guards. Oddly enough, Jesus follows in his exact footsteps. He does turn out to be a greater prophet in a sense that he was also a healer and also a teacher, but he's also right in the line with John the Baptist when he says exactly the same words. When John is in prison and John is killed, Jesus says, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus had been a disciple of John's, and it turns out to be he becomes greater than his teacher. He was baptized, you might recall. And then he takes over right where John the Baptist lets off and says exactly the same words. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Fascinating thing is this. He's speaking not about a kingdom to come like when you die. He's not talking about how to get to heaven when you die. And he's not talking about how to join uh, a new religion. Jesus never came to start a new religion. And he never really came to tell us how to get to heaven when we die. Now, I'm not saying there isn't life after death. I'm not saying the resurrection is not critical. But in following John the Baptist, he's very concerned with this world, the kingdom of God on earth. You know, you've heard me talk a million times. I talk about becoming aware of the presence of God within you, a spiritual awakening, and it's always coupled with so that we can manifest this kingdom of God in our lives. That's what we say at the beginning of every service. We say, blessed be God, and blessed be his kingdom, now and forever. Just in case you think I'm making all this up, you remember right in the Lord's Prayer, which we're going to have in about five minutes, we're going to say, your kingdom come on earth, and your will be done on earth, as it is in heaven. It has, it's a new way of being in this world, a new kingdom, which is kind of a funny word, but it means it's almost in great contrast to Caesar. Remember, when Jesus, at the end of his life, rides down the hill into Jerusalem on the beginning of Holy Week, we call it, uh, what do we call that? The Sunday, Red Sunday, Triumphal Entry, Palm Sunday. Come on, you Episcopalians, snap out of it. <laughs> he rides in on the horse, and they say, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. See, if Jesus had just been talking about a new, a new religion, 
the Romans would not have cared. The Romans didn't care what religion you were as long as you pay your taxes. And do not start any fights with the Romans. They incorporated all kinds of religions into their world. They never insisted on their own religion. There are all kinds of religions in Rome. Judaism was just one more along the way. But if you come and you start saying something like, I'm proclaiming a new kingdom, that means God's kingdom come, Caesar's kingdom go. That's why he gets killed by the Romans. So it's a risky business being that kind of a social prophet. Just like John the Baptist who was killed, Jesus is also killed because he's proclaiming a new kingdom. Now I wanted to share with you, so we're not just uh, too, uh, too untethered. Think about with me what it would look like, the cornerstones of this kingdom on earth. Cornerstone of a new way of being, a new movement, a new way of relating to people. I think this would be very obvious if you did any reading in the New Testament, or, or um, this would almost be easy. Imagine Jesus comes and you say, well, these are the couple things Jesus is really excited about. This are, is the definition of the kingdom. Jesus loves the poor. He says, point blank in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are you poor. Yours is the kingdom of God. We're always praying for the poor in our prayers. Because we believe that in God's realm, and when God's will is done, the poor are always uplifted. The poor are always paid attention to. The poor are never forgotten. And we look for the justice for the poor. Page after page, Jesus is for the poor, for the poor, for the poor. Well, that's not a big surprise to you guys. You've been in church for, some of you, 90 years. Uh, but still, a second part of Jesus' message about this new way of being, this new movement, was to include all kinds of people into God's family. He had a message of great inclusion. And he's always pushing, pushing, pushing to make the circle bigger, bigger, bigger. So he includes in his realm of friends and the people who can be his disciples, women. And he includes the people who he heals, Romans. And he includes the tax collectors who were like traitors. He includes the Gentiles who weren't even Jewish. Finally, he says in the Sermon on the Mount, and I tell you, you should love even your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. For me, that's almost one of the most important verses in the Bible because it says just how much Jesus is a spirit person, a person filled with the spirit, filled with God, because nobody in their ordinary egoic way of being can even imagine saying, love your enemies. Almost impossible. Jesus is insisting on a spiritual transformation, but it has immediate implication for who is in your circle. Who do you include in? The stranger, the marginalized, the other person, people outside of our ordinary cultural boundaries. Clearly that's part of Jesus' message. The kingdom is about the poor, and it's about the outsider, and it's also about peace. Which sounds kind of airy-fairy even of itself. What is peace? If you say it the other way, it's more potent. If you say, Jesus is about non-violence. 
Wow, that's hard. It's not just about peace on earth in general, but essentially being a person who can forgive and not seek retribution. A person who can let go of wrongs done to them. Like we say in the Lord's Prayer, we say, God forgive us, but really only as much as we have forgiven others. You can imagine just how central then this forgiveness, nonviolence, and reconciliation is to Jesus. It's none of that will come as a big surprise to any of you. He's for the poor, loves the poor, loves the outsider, loves nonviolence. I'll add in on this one last thing. This would be a hallmark of the kingdom of God. Jesus uses all kinds of references to nature and the natural world when he tries to talk about God. It's if God is revealed and communicates, like the psalm says, uh, through the natural world. The psalm will say, look at the stars. Everyone can see God in the stars. Look at the earth and the mountains. Everyone can sense the presence of God. Gentiles and Jews alike. It's all in the natural world. So Jesus talks about flowers. He talks about lilies. He talks about yeast. <laughs> talks about water. All these images from nature. So I would suggest that the people who are part of this new way of being, which is not a new religion, because the Jewish people knew they had to love God and love your neighbor. Jesus just interprets that in a gigantic way. So Jesus will also say, love creation and love the earth. We're going to say in one of our prayers, the Thanksgiving prayer, we say, you have made your love known to us in creation. It's the first line of our prayer. And we pray that we would have the wisdom and the will to conserve the earth. We give God thanks for this earth. So those are the four things which sound so simple, don't they, on the surface? If you want to be part of the kingdom of God on earth, we will love the poor. We will love the outsider. We will love peace and we'll love creation. That's a whole lot of stuff, though. Easy to say, hard to do. And in fact, it could get you in trouble, which is clearly what happened to Jesus. You proclaim a new kingdom like that, you'll get crosswise with lots of people. And yet, because you're part of this new kingdom, no matter what, you have to love them. You have to love everyone. So we're all in this together. So, even though Jesus died in order to bring us this message and this kingdom, a message which includes our interior transformation. We can know God directly now. And then because we know God, we recognize God in all these people, in the stranger and in the poor and in creation. We love peace. That's the message. It comes from John the Baptist, the prophet, and then Jesus blows it up and makes it even bigger. You can say, well, I'm not sure it's really worth it. Well, once, I think once we've tasted just a little bit of the, the freedom and the joy of connecting with God while we're here, once we've seen just how beautiful the world can be when we love each other, and when we're not really afraid of death and dying anymore, because we've seen this in the way of Jesus, well then when he says, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men, we'll begin a new creation, a new world order. We will be a new people by water and the Spirit. 
You can't help but say, okay, maybe I'll try it for a while. 